This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by Joseph Campbell. I know that wandering might seem a strange form of life to someone with a science background, which tends to give you a prospect out, of he- out ahead of what you're doing. But while wandering, you experience a kind of mysteriously organic process. It's like a tree growing. It doesn't know where it's going next. A branch may grow out this way, then that way, and then another. If you let it be that way and don't have pressures from outside, when you look back, you'll see that this will have been an organic development. What pulls you off from spiritual fulfillment when your life is not in the center? The crucial thing to live for is the sense of life in what you are doing. And if that is not there, then you are living according to other people's notions of how life should be lived. To become, in Jung's terms, individuated. To live as a released individual, one has to learn to live out of one's center. A reading of scripture from Psalm 4 is rendered by non Merrill. Answer me when I call, O beloved of my heart. You enveloped me in love when I was in distress. Be gracious to me now, hear my prayer. You know that the beloved dwells with those who are filled with love and hears when our hearts cry out. Though you may feel angry, do not give in to fear. Commune with the heart of your heart as you rest and be in silence. Make peace with your fears and trust in love. In peace, I will spend my days and sleep at night. For you alone, my beloved, take away my fears. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thank you, Andrew. Holy Gospel according to Luke 24, 36 to 38. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet and see that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and arise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. 
Well, it is Earth Day, and I was reading uh, about dolphins recently and came across some things I didn't know, and perhaps you didn't know about dolphins. Did you know that dolphins sleep with half their brain asleep at a time? Only half of their brain goes to sleep at a time because they need to still go to the surface to get air. So half is still sort of working and making sure things are operating, and the other half sleeps. And they sleep at about two hours at a time, each side of the brain, and it kind of takes shifts. And the dolphin sleeps about eight hours. Uh, some of us maybe learn to work this way, right? With a <laughs> but they sleep around eight hours in the end, which is similar to, to what humans uh, require. And studies have also shown that dolphin sonar is so well developed that they can tell a one-inch difference on objects that are 10 feet away. Which maybe that doesn't sound that impressive, but we're not talking about eyesight, we're talking about sonar. And 10 feet away, they can tell if objects are even just one inch apart. It's pretty impressive. And dolphins also apparently use ultrasonic sound waves to stun their prey. A researcher at uh, Florida Atlantic University recorded wild dolphins emitting a medium frequency buzz while searching for prey on the seabed. And she noted that some uh, buried eels jumped out of the sand and either stopped uh, moving or moved very slowly as if stunned. And it gave the dolphins plenty of time to have some lunch. Jeffrey Masson is the author of the book Beasts, What Animals Can Teach Us About the Origins of Good and Evil which sounds like a book I need to add to my reading list. What animals can teach us about the origins of good and evil. And he tells the time when uh, some dolphins were sort of on accident caught by a fleet of tuna ships. And he says, far out at sea on this particular occasion, a tuna fleet surrounded a group of spinner dolphins that were swimming over a school of tuna that were underneath. And... They inadvertently were catching these dolphins as well in their giant net. And uh, small, powerful speedboats were circling around the net and circling around the dolphins, creating this sort of wall of sound which disoriented the dolphins. Almost gave them a taste of their own, you know, uh, they were being stunned rather than stunning their prey. And as these dolphins are being stunned, they started sinking, sinking silently down into the net, only the movement of their eyes showing signs of life. But he says, but when a dolphin crossed the cork line at the edge of the net, it knew it was free. And it burst forward, propelled by powerful tail things. <laughs> tail fins, tail action, tail pumps, I don't know what the right, tail strokes, there it is, tail strokes. And so it took off, got over the net, realized it was free, took off, and then it dove deeper and deeper and deeper, and then it burst out of the surface in a series of leaps. The dolphin had new energy, right, when it was trapped, and suddenly it was free. Well, I wonder if sometimes life in the church is a little bit like being a dolphin. 
you might be encouraged to keep your brain half asleep. Don't think too deeply about this doctrine or this belief or this practice. Just do what we tell you, believe what we say, and don't ask any questions. Or perhaps we're trained to use ultrasonic evangelistic techniques in which we stun people with sound bites and Bible verses that make them worry about their eternal destiny. And perhaps they end up joining the church out of fear, worried that they're going to be on the wrong side, as if there were sides, when Jesus comes back. Or maybe we feel that we're surrounded and we can't escape. Perhaps everybody we know is a Christian or a certain kind of Christian. Our family expects us to belong to church or at least a certain kind of church. Maybe our friends, people we look up to. And this pressure and these expectations can swirl around us, leaving us disoriented and making us feel trapped and that we're perhaps sinking lower and lower into a net from which there is no escape. And yet what if the spiritual life was not about being trapped in a religious system, but about breaking free? What if the spiritual life was not about keeping our brains half asleep, but experiencing the fullness of life in the mysteries of faith with open hearts and with open minds? What if spirituality wasn't about developing our doctrinal sonar to be so precise that we can spot a one-inch difference between that person's beliefs about God and my own? What if the goal of faith was not to train others simply to believe a set of doctrines or replicate someone else's experience, but rather to experience God for ourselves in whatever way is meaningful to us? In our text today, Jesus shows up and completely surprises and terrifies the disciples. Yet we might ask, why are they surprised? They've already been told that Jesus has risen and appeared to others. And not just once, but twice, at least in our text in Luke. The first to report on uh, Jesus were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. And how did this go over? Verse 11 of Luke 24 says, But they, that is the men, did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? But they did not believe the women. So we've unfortunately been dismissing the stories of women for literally millennia. So that was the first instance. Then the second, there are two disciples who experienced Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they share about that in the verses just preceding our text today. Verse 35 says, Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they've been told more than once. Yet when Jesus appears, they're surprised and they're startled. 
Well, why is that? I think partially it's because what is needed for our spiritual journeys to truly become meaningful for us us is that we have to experience it for ourselves. Second-hand spirituality doesn't work, or at least not very well. For a lot of my life in the church, I was simply told about others' experiences. Told what to think, what to believe, what not to believe, what to do, what not to do. And unless those, those things aren't bad, right? Those things have their place. But it can't be it. And really, it was my faith began to grow and become real when I took ownership of it for myself. And that's not always easy. It can be scary and can involve moments of being startled, surprised, even terrified. But it will be true, and it will be deep, and it will be yours. According to legend, Sir Galahad was the purest and noblest knight in King Arthur's court, and the only one ever to see the Holy Grail. He was the son of Lancelot, and Galahad was raised by nuns, and he arrived at the court as a young man. And in one story or legend about Galahad, the knights agree to go on a quest, which is, I think, what knights often do. But thinking it would be a disgrace to all go in a group, they each decided to go individually. And they each entered the forest at one point or another where they saw it to be the thickest, all in those places where they found no way or no path. Well, why was that? Because where there's already a way or a path, it is someone else's way. Each knight wanted to enter the forest at the most mysterious point and follow his own intuition. They wanted to forge their own way. And then, what that would allow is that whatever each one experienced, whatever each one brought forth from their journey would be unique to that particular night. Joseph Campbell says, In that wonderful story, when any knight sees the trail of another and thinks he's getting there, and then starts to follow someone else's track... He ends up going astray entirely. I wonder if the spiritual life is perhaps more like that than we think. We have to experience our own way. No one else can walk our path or our journey for us. And I think perhaps we know that, don't we? And we've all had a journey up to this point. We all have our story or stories that are unique to us. Yes, there are similarities and ways to relate and things that we can share. But your path is yours and no one else's. The Buddha had this insight as well, commenting that we ourselves must walk the path. 
Now, in the church, we tend to get nervous about that because we want everybody in the same place. And we want control. But Jesus, famously noted in John 3, 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The holy cannot be controlled. God cannot be boxed in. Which is why when we celebrate communion in a few moments, we'll invite every single person here to participate. No matter where you are in your journey, no matter what you believe or don't believe, no matter what you've been told anywhere else, there are no boundaries here. No theological litmus tests, no moral questionnaires, no membership requirements. Here you are invited to the table as a fellow traveler on the journey of life. Jesus modeled extravagant welcome. And we're just trying to keep up a little bit. In our text today, it says that when Jesus himself shows up, the disciples experience joy and disbelief and wonder. Right? They were all in these, experiencing these different things all at once. And sometimes we'll experience those things at different points and sometimes all at once. Joy, disbelief, wonder. And Jesus says, you got anything to eat? In this moment of confusion. Because I think community in so many ways is about food and welcome in the various places that we find ourselves. And it is people who are on a journey. People who don't have it figured out. People who are experiencing joy or disbelief or wonder or are terrified or don't know what is going on. It's these people that Jesus invites to go and change the world. And I think that was true then, and I think that's still true today, and that is a beautiful thing. Amen. (laughs) Namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.